This is an ABC podcast. Good morning, good afternoon, good night. It's a podcast. You can listen to this whenever you choose. But I'm just happy you're here. Sammy J here for the Snack Pack, and I am a little bit thrilled to reveal that I have, after many weeks of lobbying, finally secured a cash prize to give away here on the podcast. So here's how you can win some sweet, cold cash right now. Go to your attic or your bookshelf or your garage. Find the CDs that you have collected over the years and probably not used physically for a decade or two. And see if you've got some of these titles. Australian Crawl, Between a Rock and a Hard Place. Mondo Rock, Nuvo Mondo. Tism, Collected Recordings. Kylie Minogue, What Do I Have to Do? Because if you own any of those, you're sitting on a gold mine. Kylie Minogue's single is worth 600 bucks. Tism's Collected Recordings, $710. That's right, CDs are back. If they're, well, maybe they're not back, but they're... They're worth more than they were when you paid $30 at Brashes in the 90s, that's for sure. So that's how you can win money. Yeah, look, it was really a bit of clickbait. I've got no cash for you directly. But you might be able to get some money for your CDs. I still have... Well, I love CDs. You know, it's my generation. I came after vinyl and before MP3. CDs was my thing. Although the first time I ever held one was a humiliating moment in class when the teacher handed around a CD-ROM. And I, having arrived at a new school, where some kids around me all had their own computers and I did not, I sat there holding this compact disc like a little monkey. I didn't know how to open it. And still to this day, the words of Chris sitting two rows behind me burn in my ears, who said, Don't you know how to open a CD, Sam? Oh, and my cheeks burned with shame. I eventually learned how to open a CD. It wasn't like a tape. It was different. Different mechanism. Anyway, bought my first CD. Soundtrack to the 1996 feature film The Phantom, starring Billy Zane. Great album. I highly recommend it. There's no talking or songs. It's just instrumentals, but gee, got the heart racing. On the podcast today, I'll chat to music journalist Cameron Adams about why CDs are back in fashion and how much your collection's worth. And speaking of turbulent teenage years, did your adolescence make you who you are? If you met yourself as a teenager, would you be like, yep, that's where I was heading. See you in the future, baby. Tech head and science journalist Ray Johnston certainly thinks so. Of course, we still can't ignore the fact there's a giant pandemic ravaging the globe. So Dr. Karen Freilich is going to talk us through needle phobia for those of you who are keen to get vaccinated but still feel a little bit odd about the jibby-jabby in your arm, which is totally understandable. And since Melbourne has now gone into lockdown number six, along with, you know, half the country who are also being locked down, I thought I'd start by checking in with science guru Adam Spencer. Adam... Tell us some fun facts about the number six to take the edge off. Hello to everyone going into their sixth lockdown. I'll give you some facts about six. Six I'm is ready. a beautiful number. Yep. The resting heartbeat of a blue whale is six beats per minute. In the UK, you can give a six-year-old child a drink of wine in your own house. The law of drinking at home in the UK goes from five to 17. So you can give a five-year-old a glass of wine. You can't give a four-year-old a glass of wine. That would be irresponsible. Yeah. Um. Six-sided figures called a hexagon, but sometimes we use the Latin prefix sex, S-E-X for six. Six babies are called sex tuplets, for example. Prime numbers that are separated by six, for example, 31 and 37, are known as sexy 
primes. Here's your big one. Okay, well, hang on, everyone. Just everyone, take a moment because we are hemorrhaging six packs here, Adam. And okay, yeah, yeah. okay, everyone, we are ready now. Keep laying it on us. This is this is the killer. Six is a perfect number. What are the factors of six? One, two, three, and six. If you add up one plus two plus three, you land exactly on. Six. That doesn't happen very often with numbers. In the case of 10, whose factors are 1, 2, 5, and 10, 1 plus 2 plus 5 is 8. That's less than 10. 10 is called deficient. In the case of 12, 1 plus 2 plus 3 plus 4 plus 6 is 16 is greater than 12. That's called abundant. But when the numbers land perfectly on each other like that, when the factors add to the number itself, we call it a perfect number. Six is a perfect number. 28 is the next perfect number. Then 496. They are very rare. So I hope this is a Perfect lockdown for the people of Melbourne. This is the Sammy J Snack Pack. Please enjoy in moderation. I'm just hitting that morning out of my 5K zone. <gasps> <gasps> Heather, that's naughty. What are you doing? You're not allowed to do that. Uh, well, I am because I'm an essential worker um, being an extra on neighbours. <laughs> <laughs> do you get called up as an extra? Do you get much work out of it or is it just quite sporadic? Uh, well, no, it's been regular over COVID because of the um, having limited people. Mm-hmm. So we sort of recycle fairly often. <laughs> <laughs> so we might be able to see you in see you in the coffee shop in in Erinsborough? Absolutely. <laughs> Brilliant. So listening to the Phantom movie soundtrack on CD as a teenager, I mean, was that really a sign of who I was to become as an adult? Um, yeah, I think it was. It was nerdy. It was not the most popular thing to do. That's still pretty much who I am. Ray Johnston is a tech journalist and host of the Queens of the Drone Age podcast. That's what you do for a job now, Ray. But tell me, did your teenage years make you who you are today? I was a bit of a weird kid. So I suppose I've grown into a bit of a weird adult. So that was <laughs> definitely... Define weird. I mean, what one person's weird is another one's normal. Oh, well, at the age of 15, I had a, my, my collection of Doc Martens that I used to wear with rainbow socks and a big army jacket and purple hair, and I used to keep a pet rat with me that I'd take to school Let me just and hide check. in the sl- yeah. sleeve of my jacket. <laughs> so Yeah, no, that, that is that's awesome. That's weird, right? <laughs> weird and unique. So was the rat, did you, re- uh, can I ask this? Because I, we had a girl who also had a rat at school. Yeah. Did you really actually love rats or were you really just trying to cause a bit of trouble no 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 i loved my rats that's i i had a couple of pet rats but only one that i'd take to school with me and they're just like little tiny puppies they're really smart and snuggly and i i genuinely loved them as pets my parents not so much (laughs) they were not thrilled by this development because i just used to let them run around my room as well (laughs) and she'd be like can you put the rats away please (laughs) What I love about this is, see, here I was thinking that you would have, like, a tech passion, and maybe you did, but I was not expecting the the rat side. Were you also into your tech and science? Definitely played a lot of video games as a kid, and I always loved science, and I used to read encyclopedias for fun. So, hey, I'm a complex human, what can I say? (laughs) Number one video game on the count of three, I'll say mine and you say yours growing up, okay? Are you ready? Oh, okay. Uh, One, two, three. Zelda. Super Mario Brothers. Oh, (laughs) I was going to say for Mario, but... I thought I'd mix it up. It depends what year. It depends how old I was as to what game I was really into. There was a period of time where I was just obsessively playing Tomb Raider. 
until I got stuck in a lake in a cave <laughs> and I couldn't get out. And then I just never played it again. So... <laughs> Was that before the days you could look up the cheats, on, you know, and just to find out how to get out of the lake? Yeah, those were the days where you either had to buy the magazines that had hints <laughs> at the back or you'd call the number on the back of the video game and there'd be someone on the other end that would help you get through that level, which must have been the best job in the world. What was your rat's name? Milky, her name was. <laughs> so yeah, good. She was a little white rat. <laughs> she was beautiful. You're listening to the Sammy J Snack Pack. Mmm, yummy, yummy in my ear tummy. Of course, the best thing about CDs, i got to say, was not going and buying a new CD. Oh, no, it was burning CDs. Guilty as charged, because I knew a guy who knew a guy who had a burner. So I'd give him a CD that I'd borrowed from someone else, and then two months later, back would come the full Les Mis London original cast recording complete with scratches that have been copied into the duplicate copy as well. Oh, that were good times. What a time to be alive. Kids, you don't know what you're missing out on. Okay, so just a reminder, uh, there's a pandemic happening right now. It's bad. We're trying to deal with it in whatever way we can. One of those ways is through getting vaccinated. Of course, there is some vaccine hesitancy in any population, but a proportion of that is actually people who just don't like needles. They're totally fine with the science. They're totally fine with wanting to to get vaccinated to protect themselves and others, but the idea of having a needle stuck in their arms is keeping them away. Dr Karen Freilich is a junior doctor and host of the podcast Humorous Hacks. Uh, Dr Karen, do people like getting a sharp, pointy bit of metal in their arm? Well, the overwhelming majority of people don't, and it kind of makes sense why you don't voluntarily want to have something jabbed into your arm. I, I, I totally do get it. But needle phobia is pretty interesting. It's got a fancy scientific name, as does really everything, which is trypanophobia. And it's actually a lot more common than I realised it was. They reckon about 10% of the whole population is needle phobic. What's the name again of the, of the, this, the medical name? Trypanophobia. Trypanophobia, okay. Trypanophobia. And I reckon the reason this has become so topical at the moment is everyone's talking about vaccines. But what we're not talking about is that around 10% of all COVID vaccine hesitancy is actually just needle phobia. That is fascinating because it makes complete sense. But, yeah, I haven't attached that to, to the figures when they put out who's going to go and get the jab, as it's called, which is probably not the phrase you should use for people who are needle phobic. <laughs> Well, yeah, no, it totally makes sense because there's, I guess, lots of reasons that people can be hesitant about vaccines. But if 10% are avoiding the vaccine just because they're a little bit nervous for the vaccine or, or, or in some cases very nervous for the vaccine, it's definitely something we should talk about. Well, there'll be people listening right now who are saying, yep, that's me. They may not have known the scientific name, but they're definitely uh, hesitant for that reason. What Any tips that you can offer them or, or words of comfort or advice? Well, the first thing is figuring out why you're nervous. And there's lots of different reasons that you can be nervous for vaccine, but I think it can be fit into kind of two main categories. The first one is you're just scared of needles themselves because people don't like sharp things going into them. So the thought of needles can be triggering of bad memories from when you were four or five years old and getting jabbed mm-hmm. or can trigger memories of you know a family member or a loved one um, having medical procedures so there can be some bad memories associated with it and the second main type is a physiological response which is having that sensation of fainting when you get a needle so before you get a needle often your blood pressure rises in the anticipation of it 
the moment you get a needle, your blood pressure automatically drops. Mm -hmm. And for some people, this can be quite extreme. Well, with, you know, time pressing, we'll we'll cut to the... the I guess not a solution, but the tips for people. For example, my own little one, I don't like needles, but I don't hate them. I'm just, you know, I think it's a reasonable response not to like metal going in your arm. But but my trick is always to simply look away. I look away, I don't even have to close my eyes, and if I'm not looking at it, then I'm genuinely pretty fine. Yeah. Well, look, what we normally say is is talk it out, name it, say, yeah, I'm a bit nervous, tell the person who's about to vaccinate you what's going on. And then if you're someone who's just quite nervous at the needle themselves. We say do breathing techniques, so long, slow, deep breaths, in through your nose, out through your mouth. Think positive thoughts. But if you're someone who's nervous that your blood pressure might drop, there's something called an applied tension technique, which is basically the opposite of a breathing technique, which is where instead of relaxing all your body, you want to tense it up. So tense up your arms, tense up your chest, tense up your legs, hold that tension and then let it go. Do that five times And that sensation of losing your blood pressure will be mitigated by the applied tension technique. So, yeah, pretty cool, hey? And so, and just finally, what about this this blinking or or rapid eye movement? Uh, (laughs) Has this been a thing that I've heard that people have done to help them as they get their injection? So, um, eye movement therapy is one of the coolest psychotherapies we have. I think we don't exactly know why it works but it can work for people with really severe phobias, which basically means you look at that phobia and you sensitise your eyes to it. You definitely want to go with an experienced um, psychiatrist or psychologist who's trained in it, but for people with absolutely severe needle phobia, that is absolutely one way to do it. And another way to do it is with graded response, so showing pictures of it and gently looking at real needles, gently touching real needles, injecting an orange with water and having a greater response to it. And it's it's all about the severity of your phobia, but there's heaps of treatment available. This is the Sammy J Snack Pack. Open with care. So as I mentioned up the top of the pod, you could be sitting on, if not a gold mine, maybe a diamond mine, maybe a shrapnel mine. Your CDs might be worth something. And if they're from a popular artist, they might be worth quite a lot. I've still got the original Spice Girls wannabe single that my sister sent home when she was travelling around England in 96 or 97. Got Simpsons, Songs in the Key of Springfield. I don't know what it's worth, but, man, it's worth a lot in my heart. That's the thing. The more valuable something is, the probably less you're likely to go and sell it. But either way, Cameron Adams is a music journalist with Melbourne's Herald Sun newspaper. I see he's making a comeback, Cam. Yeah, it's it's interesting because, like, with streaming, it's, it's for video and audio, people are just bumping DVDs and CDs. So there's certain niche ones, Samuel, like ones between like 86 and 87 when CDs were kind of a new technology in Australia, there were bands that were getting their albums finally on CD uh, and those CDs were limited pressing. So the stuff like Uncanny X-Men, believe it or not, their second album, that's worth like $300 if you have it. That's hard to find. It's it's rare. But um, weirdly, that's what these things are worth. Um, and you mentioned for like the Kylie CD things, so the early mushroom ones, like the Kylie and Jason, especially for you, if you have oh. that on cardboard CD, 200 bucks. See, and a lot of people listening right now will have you know, boxes of CDs or just in the bookshelf or whatever, not realising they could actually get some serious coin for this. Absolutely, yeah. So there's a site called Discogs, which is um, D-I-S-C-O-G-S, which is a British site, and they, it's like a um, collector site, but they, you can pretty much type in whatever CD you've got, and then we'll give you a rough estimate of what people are willing to pay for it. Uh, same on eBay. eBay is Obviously, you know, you can check what people have paid for stuff. But, um, yeah, there's, there's some money to be made if you have the right to do. 
Cam, I feel like CDs often get left in the middle when it comes to people's passions because obviously some many people love vinyl and say that's the only way to listen to music and that, you know that's the hill they will die on. Other people, you know, just stream and they just love the convenience of the modern world. But CDs sort of get forgotten in the middle. Where do you sit on them as a music writer and someone who no doubt enjoys all mediums? I'm like Tim. I've like I have, my dad made me some bespoke cabinets, and for the last ten years, people walk in and see these CDs, and it's like having beta tapes or 78s in there. People are like, what the hell is that? <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it, I feel like it's turning around. Like vinyl's great, but uh, it's not as durable as a CD. And remember, like in bands at the QR, because the CD you could fit 72 minutes on it, so they released that disintegration disintegration album in '89, mm-hmm. uh, and that album goes for 71 minutes and 47 seconds. So they used every spare space <laughs> of you know. So yeah, no, I, th- I think it's a, it's a, it's a really strong format, um, and people are dumping them. Sorry, like if you go to secondhand record stores, you can get any big album for like five bucks, and it just seems to be it seems a bit uh, a bit cruel. But I feel like the, I think there's comeback happening. So I think I think they're I think they're on the way back. Well, that's the thing. We've been here before, haven't we, Cam? Because people all got yep. rid of their vinyl, you know, yep. for, for a decade or two ago, and now suddenly that's you know worth heaps. And I tragically I got rid of probably seventy percent of my CD collection last year in a sort of op shop run, and. And that was just a space consideration. I kept my favourite sort of 20 CDs or so. Yep, but do you yep. think there'll be a little bit of CD regret growing on right now? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's, it's a format thing too where like, people don't have CD players in their cars, yeah. computers don't out there. So you obviously need the technology as well. A lot of people are still buying CDs, new like collectors and keeping them unwrapped and just listening to the audio on streaming services. But um, yeah, I think, I think there's definitely a niche out there for these, for CDs. And yeah, there's, it's, it's coming back, like, and bands use them just like to get in the charts. If you sell a physical product, it really boosts over streaming. Like, it's, it's it helps a band get number one these days. Hey, Cameron Adams, uh, great to chat to you. If you had to go right now to your CD player and stick on an album just to make you feel good, what would it be? What's top of your list? Oh, on the spot, um, I do like. Well, I'm lucky. I do like Credit House. Oh. Uh, I did. Ch- I checked for you, Credit House, yep. sort of collectability. <gasps> yeah. Not yeah. I mean, there's a few fan club CDs. There's one called Homebrew. Uh, so I, which is if you've got that, I've got homebrew on CD. Yeah, got it from wow. the fan club in '98. It's worth eight hundred bucks. What? Yep. You serious? Yep. One called Dutch Treat. That's worth two fifty. Oh well, my day just got better. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, All that fan club stuff on CD is very rare. Cameron Adams, thank you for making my day. I can I can fill in your voice. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hold on to it. You've been munching on the Sammy J snack pack. Clean yourself up. Oh, man. Okay, I just checked my phone <laughs> because I've digitised Crowded House's Hobro album. That's why I've got it as part of my music library. But if I digitised it, that means I don't have it anymore. It's probably at an op shop somewhere when I got rid of most of my CDs. It's life, man. But it's got to take it a day at a time at the moment, don't we? So thank you for choosing the Sammy J Snack Pack to be part of your day. Thank you to Ross Kavanagh, my sound wizard extraordinaire, for pushing the buttons. I'll be back this time next week. The brand new pod, you can get it wherever you get your podcasts, or you can listen to my Brecky show every day via the ABC Listen app from 5.30 Australian Eastern Standard Time. That means if you're in Perth, it's a very early morning for you. But maybe you'll just wake up after a bad dream and you'll know I'm here for you. Hope you're going all right. You may well be in lockdown right now if you are. We'll finish with a poem just for you. I love a sunburnt country, a land of lagging vaccination, of bungled health responses and a broken federation. But most of all, the lockdowns stretching far as I can see, from the cities to the country, Aussies love a Lockie D. 
It started with a big one. 2020 set the scene. Then they let us out to roam till someone coughed in quarantine. First it was Daniel Andrews. He took it in his stride. Said, I eat Lockie D's for breakfast. Now get your ass inside. And Victorians, they thanked him. As the nation said, who's he? Why can't we all have a leader? Who gives us a Lockie D? So one by one they followed. Queensland got on board the craze. South Australia tried a week, but only lasted several days. Then Gladys said, not on my watch, for we are young and free, and over my dead body will I call a Lockie D. After all, I saved Australia, stopped the northern beaches spread, and sure, it ruined Christmas, but nobody wound up dead. Well, Dan took that as a challenge, called a third, a fourth, and gee, he was stoked when a removalist caused a fifth damn Lockie D. Then Gladys started panicking, and Bondi rolled the dice. Dan said, look, I'm not here to gloat, but I did beat Delta twice. Still, she simply couldn't say it, just announced a few restrictions, while the rest of Oz looked on, having Lockie D conniptions. But as the pressure mounted, she appeared for all to see, at a podium and whispered, fine, we'll have a Lockie D. But it's only for a week or two. You can still hang out with mates. We obey the rules in Sydney. We're not like the other states. Because I only follow health advice. There's no real sense of urgency. Then exposure sites exploded. She cried, it's a bloody national emergency. Turns out that man-made borders aren't respected by the virus. Like its namesake Delta Goodrum, it was simply born to try us. Now, Dan had copped a lot of free advice from Gladys for his stance. So when she begged him for his vaccines, he said, not a freaking chance. The other states all followed suit. They said, let's wait and see. We're sure you're in control of this gold standard, Lockie D. And ScoMo said, hey, Gladys, I can see you need a hand. I'll lend you half my army. Just don't mention it to Dan. Should Sydney have locked down sooner? We'll never know, I guess. Unless you've got a brain, in which case the answer's clearly yes. Because us Aussies love to win stuff. We're a nation to behold. If lockdowns were Olympics, we'd be bringing home the gold. For we're the lucky country. So advance Australia fair. When they call another lockdown, I'll be sure to see you there.